0: This episode is brought to you in part by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Experience the joy and freedom that comes from a faith that perseveres. Check out Unshakable Moxie, growing a resilient faith at unshakablemoxie.com from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit unshakablemoxie.com.
1: From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Well, I hope you had a fantastic Valentine's Day. I'm two days late, but happy Valentine's Day. If you feel like sharing the love and entering to win a $50 gift card, I will give you a $50 gift card from me to you to take out whoever you care about, you love a friend, a family friend, um, a romantic partner, whatever. All you have to do to enter to win this gift card is leave a review for our podcast for Viral Jesus on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Take a screenshot of that review and then email it to me. Haley, my assistant, will get your email and we will enter you into the drawing. Our email is hello to Heather. Hello, T O Heather at gmail.com. Send me the screenshot and we will enter you to win a $50 gift card. If you want to be entered more than once, you can do that. You can also send a screenshot of you posting your favorite episode, maybe to a friend or on your social media account, just send us the screenshot. And as many screenshots as we get from you, that's as many times we'll enter you into the drawing. Our show is growing We have honestly doubled our audience, and that is due directly to you sharing this show and telling people about it. I cannot thank you enough. So send me your screenshots. I need you to leave a review for us of the podcast, and then share it with a friend. Send it to somebody in a text message. Post it on your social media account. Send us that screenshot, and you'll be entered into the drawing. So I need all of your screenshots, all of your entrances, by Thursday, February twenty three. Okay, that's the cutoff. Thursday, February 23. It has to be in my inbox, and then Haley will email you. We'll pick a winner and we'll get you your gift card. I am so grateful for the ways you guys have been blessing the show. Thank you for spreading all of your love right over here to Viral Jesus. We have an excellent guest today. I have been waiting to introduce you to this person. I'm so excited. But first, Are you ready for hashtag blessed where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and we get to be hashtag blessed with all the advice by Brady Shearer today. You know how I feel about Brady. He is our resident social media expert. I'm just so grateful that he's been coming on the show so much and going to be a regular guest on this hashtag blessed segment because he just has a wealth of knowledge. Brady Shearer is the director of pro church tools and church software platform Nucleus. His work focuses on helping churches navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. Brady, so I saw a reel that you did on your Instagram where you read a comment someone had left you that said something like this, this is business strategy and we shouldn't be using that for church strategy. I want to talk about that with everyone today. Is that a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? Having a strategy when I get online, what do you think?
2: This is a common criticism or um, you know critique that I might see online with the work that I do. This person in particular said, "Quote: Your sermon clip system for social media is just using business tactics that don't belong in the church. Pathetic." And I use <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> I use at illustrate- least
1: kind about it at least. You know what?
2: Hey, they're honest. And we, we respect the honesty. If nothing else, that's what social is nowadays. We get straight to the point. Um, but, the, but this is illustrative of a pretty common retort that, that we get. And, and what I said to this person in, in particular is that for this strategy that we were describing, everything that we do, we try to look to scripture and, and specifically to how Jesus chose to communicate mm. and, and see, is there something there of merit? Or are we doing something uh, that would be antithetical to perhaps uh, the values of Jesus and, and the model that he left for us. And so what we often talk about is finding the intersection between faith and culture and how this mm. is really the most relevant point for something to be accessible uh, for folks to who are not connected to church, let's say, come to the wisdom of scripture and be introduced to it and, and see, oh, this is relevant to me, this is accessible for me. And then we bring people to you know the, the good news. And Jesus model for this, uh, there's this book uh, by Robert Stein, The Method and Message of Jesus' Teaching, and it tracks all of how Jesus taught throughout the Synoptic Gospels. And uh, it was about 35% of all of the teaching was was based in story. So where Jesus would talk about sheep or farming or money, um, and that would be a springboard to then talk about the kingdom of God. And what's amazing about story um, and what this uh, commenter was describing as a business tactic, which, of course, ironically, uh, was a Christ-inspired tactic. What's great about story is that everyone can come to the table around a story and get something different from it. Because we all have our unique life experiences and relationship experiences. We have our own trauma and pain, our own celebrations and triumphs. And so when you hear a story, story isn't uh, objective. Story is subjective. Uh, because it talks about real experiences. Mm -hmm. There's this amazing thing when story happens is that your life experiences that only you are thinking about consciously or subconsciously as you interact with the story become interwoven with the story because we're all the main character in our own stories. And Mm -hmm, and then we hear mm -hmm. this story about someone else. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my own life experience? And then once we are kind of brought into that we're starting to understand maybe the, the the truths of the kingdom of God and these existential matters that at least the church deals in the kind of stuff that can be very difficult to talk about. You know, we can try mm-hmm. to distill it down to, you know, um, to black and white into things like that. Um, and many times that's helpful, uh, but often existential matters are so complex by their nature that something like story, I think that's why Jesus relied on it uh, so much. And so I, I think that, uh, it's a very, um, it's a very reductionist view to say that we can't use strategy in the church world. Yeah. Um, it's also reductionist probably to say we can't use business tactics. I mean, uh, at least for my church, I would much uh, prefer that my uh, ministry team practices fiscal responsibility and that the accountant is perhaps mm. using a business tool to, to make sure yeah, the yeah, numbers yeah. are adding up. Now, you, you might say, hey, that's not a business tool. That's inspired by the wisdom of scripture, to which I would say, same thing here. So can we find a right. basis for scripture? Can we find something that Jesus modeled that we can say, hey, We're using that as the springboard for what we're trying to do here. Um, But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the mission. What are we trying to accomplish? What is our objective? Um, And at least for churches on social, it's about accomplishing the mission of the church, that being making disciples uh, and taking the good news to the world. And there are so many different ways that, that we can do that.
1: Strategy, is that a dirty word? Is that word somehow a mess or can it be a hashtag blessing? You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blessed on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. We are starting a new pod class called Lessons from My Mentor. Oh my goodness, you guys, there is so much knowledge and wisdom and beauty in the conversations you're going to hear in this pod class. I could not be more honored and thrilled to share it with you. And instead of doing a solo episode today to like introduce it, I asked my own real life mentor. If he would sit down and we could open up the series that way. So we have a four part series lessons for my mentor. We're going to open it up today with my personal mentor, Jose Rojas, he was born in East Los Angeles. Pastor Jose Rojas serves as president of Puente Ministries, a ministry that exists to improve the cultures of organizations through the development of servant leaders. As a national leader, Pastor Rojas was called upon to work closely with the White House, assisting the president of the United States in developing and implementing a variety of humanitarian objectives for domestic policy that met the needs of millions of of Americans. I just cannot wait for you to listen to this conversation. This man has shepherded me personally for, I don't know, like the last four and a half years, almost five years now. And it is an honor to introduce him to you. So I'm super excited to have a conversation with you today, Pastor Rojas. But What we always do first is I like to dig through somebody's social media. Now, you tend to be a little more elusive sometimes online, but I found your Instagram and I'd like to share a post that you did here on Instagram. It says this, the power of true servant leadership is not measured by how many followers you have, but by how many new leaders you inspire, mentor and mobilize during your lifetime This quote, I think, was especially true for you. I can say as someone who has benefited from your leadership that you are passionate about investing in me and countless, who knows, maybe you know how many other people you've invested in throughout the course of your ministry. Where did that come from? Before we got on, you said, I'm committed to giving it all away. Where does that come from?
3: Well, leadership isn't what we thought it was. Some people have thought that leadership is being the one in charge, having the title. But you'll have CEOs that are essentially useless. They're there by title. And and so today, as people perceive leadership, it's not those who have the titles that matter. It's those who have the influence. Mm. Influence is the key to today's leadership. And that's what I receive, the influence of others. Um, some in very high-ranking positions, and others in no position at all. But I Mm. learned about the power of influence, and that's what you give away.
1: Who were some of your mentors that first taught you about that, that we can be deeply impacted in how we see ourselves or our ministry based on what somebody else says to us?
3: Well, it was in 1976, That a pastor named Eliezer Benavides, who is now 96 years old, Mm. uh, but he was quite young at the time. And he was a major leader on the West Coast of religious leaders and happened to be Latino. And we met at a meeting of religious uh, people, a camp meeting where I was to play my guitar and be a special music. But as he and I talked that night, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, you are a leader. Mm. That is bizarre. I'm 16 years old. I'm a guitarist. I don't sing particularly the best of you know the musicians around, but I sing with passion and I play with passion. And he says, "You are a leader. That moment changed my life. Mm. And so throughout my life, I learned it from my wife. You go out of your way to create a memory for someone. And it's in that moment of memory that you can pass along a seed, a kernel, that will burst into new life, which is leadership. And that person will awaken to a sense of destiny. I too can make a difference. And that's how it happened for me.
1: We go out of our way to make a memory for someone. And I'm going to get into that a little bit deeper in a minute, because I would say that's exactly what you did for me. But before we get into the mentorship type questions, when I first came into contact with your ministry, I was actually a student. You had no idea. I was in a crowd of probably 2,000-some students that were there. My husband, Seth, was with me. And we were listening to you for a week of prayer at Andrews University. And my husband, Seth, actually ended up going back to school because of your week of prayer. He had dropped out of school, said, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be smart enough. I'm never going to be good enough. He ends up going back to school because of your sermon series, which I think is very rare that we actually transform people from the pulpit. But you did that. Can you share a little bit with us about your testimony, about who, who was, you know, like 12 year old Jose Rojas? What was what were you like back then as a student?
3: Well, I was never very much a student at all. Um, I came from a very poor family. I'm the child of Mexican pe- peasants, uh, immigrants. Mm-hmm. My parents naturalized in the 50s, uh, and uh, but the, my mom's parents were Americans. Uh, my grandma, my mom's side, was raised in Chicago, and my grandpa was raised in 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 Fort Worth, Texas. They didn't even know much Spanish, but uh, all, all along the value system, the farm labor, the 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 blue collar was my journey, and I was born in East Los Angeles, so school and what they call now cognitive pursuit were not my strengths, but I was a very impressionable student. I've always been an observer, and by age 14, I had developed a concept of faith and belief that there is a God who Mm. needs us and that we Mm. can develop influence. It's amazing when you can reach a kid, but those uh, teachers, those people at church who became mentors went out of their way to create memories for me.
4: Hmm. And like
3: you're saying, um, you're you're at a university series of my presentations. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: How do you impact from a podium is that you go out of your way to create memories from the platform. Which means Mm. the only way you can create a memory, in my opinion, is not to talk about what you read or what you studied or the research you've conducted, which is all important. I believe that the most powerful presentations publicly are the ones where we testify. We actually say what we have seen. So when Mm. you hear me preach or give a speech, all of my examples my anecdotal evidence, it's my own experience, what I have seen. And that's what's compelling from a platform. I had a physician with a gray beard coming out of surgery in Kettering, Ohio. He saw me eating at the cafeteria. And he came over and interrupted my conversation with someone else. He says, excuse me, are, are you Jose Rojas? I go, yes, guilty. And, and he, he says, may I shake your hand? You spoke at my graduation from medical mm. school. At Loma Linda University in 1982. This poor man still remembers his yeah. graduation speech from 1982. I don't remember any of my graduation speeches. I just wanted my right. degree and get out of there. But see, a podium, a platform, a microphone is a powerful opportunity to create a memory for someone, to tell people what you have seen. And that becomes the evidence that it could be translated into me, the listener, in my own journey.
1: I can still tell you what your sermon was.
3: That's amazing. It it was
1: some 10 years ago. You preached on Job.
3: Oh, that's amazing.
1: And you said, I wasn't great at English when I was learning it, so I pronounced it Job. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember your joke.
3: (laughs) Job Job (laughs) controlled all of the meat and donkeys and camels and sheep of the entire Middle East. So that's probably where the employment term came from. You know, you get, he was the one who hired everybody in the Middle East. You go get a job, you know?
1: <laughs> you go see Job. That's right. I remember. And it's been over a decade. I just want everybody to understand because this, in this episode, we're kind of setting up this conversation about the power of mentorship. I have people ask me about my experience of mentorship all the time. And I always reference back to you. And so I just want to set the stage a little bit. You had no idea that you had impacted my life. You didn't even know I was in the crowd that day that you were speaking. And about seven years later, I'm on Twitter and I get a DM from you. And I am freaking out because to you, I might be some random person, but for me, you were somebody that was very providential in how I saw... And how I felt the Holy Spirit move in my own heart and call me to something. And then literally my husband goes back to school and finishes his religion degree because of it. And so you give me no description. I just get a DM that says, here's my number. You should call me. Yes. And I have no idea what about. And at this time, I want everyone to understand I have probably 50 rejection letters on book offers that nobody ever wanted. Um, I probably have a Twitter platform that's not a platform at all. It has about 800 people. Um, And I'm serving very much locally in my church context. And I call you. I don't know if you remember this, but the first thing you said to me was this. You said, Heather, before God moves in your life in a public way, he will always send you someone. And that's why I'm here. And that was not just a memory. It is also the reason I probably pull up on my students the way I do, when I feel the Holy Spirit stir me. um, How has that taken shape in your own life? How does that work for you? When you feel called by God to speak to somebody or put a word over somebody's life, what does that feeling look like? You feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I'm calling you to this person.
3: Well, it's an attitude of the heart, of the mind, because um, most of us, uh, think about our career. so we're thinking of ourselves. I don't mean to say in a selfish way, we just that's the human inclination. We think about our degrees, we think about our experiences, our resume, and the kinds of mentors that can guide us on the path of the, of what's professionally our objective. Uh, that's where most most people are. But you can determine, as apparently you have, uh, to say my reason for existence. Is that others will be empowered? See, that's my. When people ask me why were you born, I said I was born to empower others. I live to see others make it, and I, the way I say it to my kids is, "I live so that you guys can score. If you guys get there in life, then I have fulfilled my calling. My calling is not about where I go, but where my the people that cross my path go. And so I, I noticed you on Twitter. As you recall. I didn't tend to my account much. It was nearing (laughs) 10,000 followers all by itself. It was kind of like a cancer growing all by itself, Mm -hmm. metastasizing. And I get a lot of hate and people criticize me. Uh, The number one problem in the world for me is, why don't I cut my mustache? Well, you'll be happy to know I cut three inches off today (laughs) just for this interview. Just
1: for this. So right.
3: So it's now small, so I don't want to get any hate mail from people. But see, (laughs) it's amazing. Number two, social networking is built on how many followers you have. And they actually call that influencer. I disagree Because Mm -hmm. misinformation and disinformation today is most common among influencers. Not all, but just so many people are using their tens of millions or hundreds of millions of followers to disinform or misinform, uh, actually spreading lies. So having followers doesn't make you a leader. It's how you recruit, inspire, mentor, and mobilize people. So my eye is always before you and sense you, to look for people that I sense really see something bigger in life. And
0: mm-hmm. then I
3: shock them. I, I enter their personal space. Here's, <laughs> here's my cell number that's so protected. I don't want anyone else to have it. it. Call me. And then I tell you straight up, listen, you have a future. I mm-hmm. see it in you. Um, uh, get ready because God always sends us someone.
4: Yeah.
3: And then he makes his move. And so this is a mark of anointing. Not everybody believes that, but this has been my journey for over 46 years uh, to see something in someone else and then simply tell them, I see it in you go do this. And, and people blossom. If you expect higher, people produce higher. If you expect little, if you tell someone the opposite, you know what, you're good for nothing, man. you uh, then they will believe they're good for nothing and quickly their demise will happen. On the flip side, for a Christian to say, you are somebody, I see it. And then you give some evidence. I've seen you do this, say this, go there, write this. Your turn is coming. You could perceive it and then share it with them. And it creates the memory. It overwhelms the person with a sense of calling. That's how I received it. Now I give it away.
1: And I'll say in our interaction, the Holy Spirit, absolutely, I won't get into it, but there's some specific things that you said to me that the Holy Spirit then confirmed that you could not have known ahead of time. And then within weeks, things started happening in my life that you were there for me for. And I cannot tell you how important and meaningful that has been to me and has I think reoriented how I've stepped into certain situations because one of the things you said to me was this actually, maybe you can explain it to our listener. I just remember you said, Heather, you can have all the talent, but what you need is experience and experience can never be rushed. And that I wrote about it in my book. It's not your turn when I finally got a book deal, but that moment truly reoriented so much of what I had of, of angst of, Oh, I feel like God is calling me to this thing, but I don't see it. And I literally since then it's okay because I'm building experience and experience is valuable. Can you walk our listener through what you meant by that?
3: Well, in today's culture, we seem to argue about our opinions. You know, you'll have the person online or in person in a group or in a committee or in a town hall, I tell it like it is pretty arrogant statement to make because only God can tell it like it is. He's the Mm. only one who knows all things. The rest of us just have opinions and some people can be so opinionated. They often can air very loudly, ignorant opinions. But Mm. once you begin to experience for yourself, it's like being a mom. Uh, a single girl without children can have opinions. Oh, these moms don't know what they're doing. And then you can turn to her and say, sweetie, <laughs> wait till you're a mom. No, 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 no. I took marriage and family and got an A. I've been taking care of my niece and nephew. Oh, that's all good. But there's only one way to understand it. What motherhood is, is to yeah. actually become a mom and not sleep for the next three to four years of your life. Right. And the idea of experiencing motherhood, you'll learn things that are not in a book. Only experience can teach it. And so therefore you become wiser and wiser. It's less opinionated and much more wise. You're not out to conquer the world. You just know what motherhood is because you've carried that burden. And to have a child hug you around the neck and say, I love you, mommy, is life altering. Well, Mm -hmm. if you apply that same principle to all other aspects, professional, faith, journey, and otherwise, you begin to experience things. And it's really Mm -hmm. hard to argue with someone who's experienced it. And so, you know, I've been shot at many times, uh, and I'm happy to report uh, shooters missed. so he I, doesn't
1: just mean metaphorically.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're doing gang intervention ministry, I elicited right. a lot of angry people shooting at me from time to time. Other mm-hmm. times, people wanted to harm me on a platform and they came to a program to shoot me. And so, when you experience constant threats of violence for several segments of your life, it, and then now you go to a White House meeting to discuss a school shooting. All afternoon, you hear speeches over what's happening to our country and gun control and all these debates. And finally, at about 3.30, I'd had enough. And I said, you know, the last time I was shot at, no one else in the committee can talk about their experience Hmm. of shootings. And then what we did about it and how we got shootings to stop locally over the years we worked on that. And so experience becomes something that is the treasure of the journey. You'll, you'll receive something you cannot explain. It's only understood through experience, but it increases your capacity to speak with wisdom. Mm. So when you give counsel to someone, you tend to have more accuracy in what you're saying because you've actually experienced it. It's very powerful. It's, a, it's obvious, but it's not common for people to live this way. You can literally come to have a lifestyle in which, you know, that's why the apostle exclaimed in scripture, for me to live is Jesus. He's not just some esoterical theological construct. He's an experience for me. And an atheist will tell me, some of our listeners may be leaning toward this way. And I say that with great respect. I don't understand what this deity is. It doesn't go beyond your ceiling. And I said, no, 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 no. You can neurologically with a brain monitor, follow the Holy Spirit's interaction with your brain. You can chemically mark God's movement upon your life. And once I start going into the data and the research in a presentation, I'll have atheist uh, uh, colleagues tell me, this is enormous. You're bringing out experiential data connected with science and analysis. Yes. I'm not arguing empty here. In fact, I'm not arguing. I'm merely testifying. This is what I have seen. See, the power of experience grants you the capacity to testify, To what you've seen.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID 19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder. Can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viral today.
1: Did you ever think when you are twelve years old, fourteen years old? that one day you'd end up in meetings in the White House, working in the White House. How did that come about? And did you know that was coming for you? Or did all of the things that you've been able to do in ministry and professionally, did it catch you off guard?
3: Yes, the whole journey has been a shocking development of surprises. Uh, Really? When you are faithful, and remember, I come from a hood family, poverty I come from LA. I was told by one of my major professors, when I first started college, I had a 1.7 cumulative GPA. uh, And I had to repeat all those courses to survive. And 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 continue and call. It took me six years to get my four year degree. I had to squeeze it all in. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, cognitive pursuit is something I had to learn how to use, how to read. You just a book wanted in to practice.
1: experience it, Jose. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, being a failure is quite the experience, <laughs> and failing repeatedly uh, is is not as bad as we think. It, it could teach us something. And mm. you you know, failure only wins when you stay down. But if you get back up. Failure has another thing coming. Mm -hmm. And so my professors, one of my major professors at the height of that 1.7 cumulative, he said to me, he says, look, Jose, if you worked at McDonald's, I know you'll do well. Your, Your leadership skills, you'll make manager. You're so gifted with leadership. You can become regional manager at McDonald's and run the whole city's McDonald's. And I think he's right. Uh, I was very moved by his analysis of my leadership.
4: Mm.
3: But then another professor says, he's right, but he's cutting you short. I see you moving to Washington, D.C. someday. And I said, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys were all crazy. But they were were calling what they saw. One saw leadership. And the other one saw national, international leadership. And so they were both on the right path. And I don't need to get offended with anyone uh, because only 11 years later, I was received on that campus as a special guest being escorted by the president of the college. And that same professor saw me escorted across campus as a white house guest. Mm. And he's the one who thought I would do well at McDonald's, Mm. but I always thanked him for his vision that he was one of the first to call me a leader. Mm. See, so it's interesting that they're baby steps It's stuff you can't plan for Mm. It's stuff that's in you and mentors see it and call it out. And then each one of those memories builds the power of it is, is, Another one of my mentors, Jim Pimentel, who uh, retired in Central California, um, he he said to me always, "Remember, Jose, nobody's that good." Mm. <laughs> and so he, it's every time it goes well for me. Uh, 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 when I had my office in Congress for four years, he says, "Remember, nobody's that good." <laughs> and, <laughs> He saw me on CNN standing behind the president in the Rose Garden. He says, remember, nobody's that good. In other words, God has graced you. He's blessing you. And you're doing fantastic work, but don't let it get to your head. Nobody's that good. God is good. Mm -hmm. And he lives in us and takes us to the next level. See, and that is life altering stuff. And if you asked me how I got to the White House, it's kind of like a movie I saw where One of the actors tells the other, you just asked me how a watch works. Um, Mm. Maybe you should just keep track of the time. (laughs) Mm. It's quite a long story, but it's a real one of how I first was invited to Congress. And then I.
1: We have time. Are you able to share it?
3: (laughs) Okay, briefly. Okay, I was given the governor's citation in Maryland for leadership in community action. Um, By then we had launched the Office of Volunteer Ministries um, and I had helped establish the World Office, the General Conference, that's our world headquarters of the denomination. And I did not accept the directorship of it. I said I wanted to launch instead the North American component of Mm. the same office. And at first we called it the Adventist Youth Service Network, YouthNet. And um, only a few years later, we moved it over to the Secretariat of the North American uh, offices of the Church, and called it the Office of Volunteer Ministries. Mm-hmm. We began yeah. with about four thousand volunteers going out every year from North America abroad, but by the time I left, we had over a hundred thousand volunteers wow. going out to eighty countries per year. Wow! And so, um, the governor of Maryland heard that we were commanding more volunteers than the Peace Corps was. Mm. And so he brought me in and gave me the governor's citation. Um, It's an award all governors give uh, to a distinguished citizen each year. Um, And of course, it's in a box somewhere. I don't even know where I put it. Um, My awards end up in boxes. (laughs) Other people plaster their walls with their No one's that
1: good. That's why.
3: Yeah, I'm, nobody's that busy. <laughs> Yeah, The governor did something else that I never imagined. He, he and I met and we had a brief conversation on policy in the state of Maryland. He was intrigued with my views, uh, that I was not contrarian even when I disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. I was not offensive and that I had suggestions for improving the policy and what legislative package he might consider to improve life in Maryland. He was intrigued by that. Well, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus uh, happened to be meeting in Washington, D.C. for their yearly meetings in uh, Hispanic History Month in September. And they end with a major banquet Mm. uh, at the end of that week of meetings uh, where they discuss Hispanic issues uh, nationwide, etc. I received a phone call from a reporter who said the governor of Maryland has submitted your name to the Congressional Hispanic Caucus mm. and, uh, because uh, they want to give you two tickets. It's back then, and this is in the 90s, it's $2,000 per person for a catered meal. So this is very, very serious food. We're, <laughs> we're not talking about Olive Garden or something. <laughs> this is serious, $2,000 per person. Okay. Uh, you know, butlers at are wearing clothes I can never afford. Mm-hmm. And and uh you and your wife are invited. There's a there's a corporation that pays for worthy nonprofit leaders to sit at a table because uh, no one else can afford those tickets. I mean, that's almost what the Super Bowl costs. Uh long story short, you have two tickets. And I went to talk to my wife Ruthie and I said, "Babe, we've been invited to a banquet in Congress tonight." Um and uh so we had to go to Sears. <coughs> I'm a pastor. I, I have lots of black suits. <laughs> I just had to buy a special shirt and a black tie because it's a black tie event. Okay. Very, very, very formal. Mm-hmm. Had to get special shoes and everything. And my wife had to buy a gown. Mm. I, I mean, you don't just show up. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what a Washington gala banquet can be. Mm. So we had to go through like metal detectors for an airport and saw all these cops. I had no idea they were Secret Service Uniform Division. And as we get in, we realize it's the same hotel where President Reagan had been shot at as he exited,
4: mm. the Washington
3: Hilton. And, and so we came in, and there it was, the president's podium. I said, babe, this, the speaker tonight is the president. And then she says, okay, you're talking too loud. You <laughs> lower your voice. Three <laughs> tables turned to look this way. It was very embarrassing <laughs> for my wife be escorted by me I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't calm about it I mean you don't always see that podium up close right. you know? and, uh, so but then I saw the entire president's cabinet all of the secretaries of the government were sitting there at one table and 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 it's a who's who of Latino actors musicians politicians that you just you meet everybody it's amazing I met several of my long-term Friends in Hollywood, producers and directors from Hollywood, um, to this day, are dear friends. And uh, we met at the table over this food. Mm. Um, And then the president spoke that night. I turned to my wife. We will find out why we're here sooner or later, because this is not our world. I'm not a politician, not even today. I'm not a politician. um, And I'm always afraid to get sucked into that world. Mm. While the president was speaking, he says, so I call on Americans to tutor a child, because the research shows, and it turned out to be General Colin Powell's research, that if a child is reading at proficiency by the third grade, they're 82% less likely ever to get involved in crime and go to college.
4: Mm.
3: Now, I had always done gang intervention when it's late. it's They're 16, 17 years old, and they've been in prison and in and out of jail. Well, here's how you Prevent that lifestyle mm. by having a child read by the third grade, because if they're reading, they learn to form their own opinions, and it's not the drug dealer or the gang leader who think does their thinking for them on the street. And so it was powerful. And my office happened to be launching tutoring sites mm. around the country, and we would we were all already underway. And I turned to my wife, "That's why we're here." we're launching tutoring sites in 26 cities
4: hmm.
3: and so after the president's speech was over he just stepped off the platform and greeted whoever and that ever since then i had uh, i do the same thing i speak and then i come off the platform whoever wants to talk i'm just standing there it can be up to three and four hours you can greet a couple two or three thousand people sometimes hmm. the president took his time Wow. and i told him mr president it's a great speech thank you But then then I didn't know about protocol, but it just instinctively came through. (laughs) You name your organization and your name, which they will forget, but the organization they'll remember. I said, I'm with the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America. My name's Jose Rojas, and we're launching tutoring sites as we speak. Oh, the president was so inspired, he hugged me.
4: Hmm. Well, that's
3: shocking. This afternoon began with, we're in the kitchen, should we go to this banquet? And we had to go to Sears to buy stuff to go to it. (laughs) Now I'm being hugged by the president. Wow. And that's, that's a bizarre shift for a single yeah. afternoon. And then I said, may I have a picture with you? Sure. And we posed and the camera didn't work. This was before <laughs> cell phone camp anyway. <laughs> uh, and so it didn't work. As soon as he left, it worked. And I was ready to throw <laughs> that camera into little pieces against the wall. But I'll never forget. We walked out and we stopped to pray right there where, the, where President Reagan had been shot only a few years earlier. And a reporter walked up to me and she said, I don't know who you are, but you'll get your picture. Mm. The White House photographer's camera always works. Mm. And then she walked away. I was bizarrely shaken by the comment. Uh, my chest physically hurt. I turned to Ruthie, what's going on? And, and um, long story short, only a few days later, there's a phone call at my office. And, uh, my assistant said that you have a Susana Valdez, an assistant to the president. And I said, did she say what union or what conference? <laughs> Cause we serve 58 Adventist conferences or dioceses and nine unions or regions of the country. And, uh, she said, no, I'll put her on. I said, hi, um, Susanna. Yes, this is Jose Rojas. What union are you with? Oh, we work closely with labor unions. Um, <laughs> what, what conference? Oh, we host many conferences every year. I'm sorry. Where are you calling? From? Oh, I'm calling you from the Oval Office. Mm. We're discussing the tutoring initiative. And the president announced it in a sense prematurely before we actually have a plan. He's calling on Americans to tutor, and he didn't realize some are already tutoring. And he remembered you,
4: Hmm. that you're
3: with the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America. And do you have strategic and tactical documents for that? I said, well, we're already underway. We've launched. It's 26 cities. We want 100 uh, tutoring sites. Oh, can you bring him into the White House? Sure. When? Right now, oh, you know, it's a full day. Can I come in after work? Sure. How about 5.30? Okay, because we're about 20 minutes away from the White House. And so I hung up the phone and shouted, what's a strategic and tactical document? (laughs) I've never heard the
4: terms.
3: (laughs) So I took our denominational document and just skillfully did a strategic development of the document and then the tactical development, including raising the budget, the dissertations we use to develop the curriculum for the children and how we mobilize it into 26 cities, how we're training the trainers who train the local tutors and how we recruit tutors. And I quickly did sections and subsections. I did about seven hours work that day. And at 5:30 I was down at the white house being escorted in. And I was, I'm normally a very delicious chocolate Brown, but I, <laughs> I was turning different shades (laughs) of red and then pale. And I thought I was going to pass out. I mean, how often do we walk into the West Wing of the White House? And Susanna shook my hand and thanked me and took my information. And uh, I shared a few of my opinions with her. She goes, we're going to need you for the legislation on this. And then I would, because I had an office in Congress. And before you know it, they started counting on me.
4: Hmm. then
3: bringing me into briefings and then I'd raise my hand and have the right questions or tactical questions or or, or strategic questions on how to adjust the document or how to re- re-examine the budget in in lieu of the realities on the hill and the mood to cut back on expenditures and before you know it I was attending strategic planning meetings at the White House and, hmm. and I was being asked to make documents in the Uh, Then the options document for the president. This is bizarre. There was no way to plan this. It had to be the hand of God.
4: Mm.
3: And, um, And then the next president came in. And at first they didn't like me because it was another party and that I worked with the other side. But then when I started sharing my views, I'd send a memorandum to the president on an item. And he liked my memos. They would reach his desk. Before you know it, I was being brought in again. Hmm. And I'm a patriot. I love my country. It's not about party.
4: Hmm. It's about
3: the institution of the presidency of Congress and what we as Americans can, rather than just complain, how we can make things better.
4: Hmm.
3: And so um, it just kind of evolved. That's a thumb sketch of how it grew and became something. And uh, I could have never planned for it. I could have never leveraged influence to make that happen, uh, it's one of the miracles of God.
1: What do you say to somebody right now who is feeling like, I can't see how any of this is going to fit together, right? They want a plan. And I've heard you say multiple times, and I've heard you say it to me personally, you can't plan for it. Just if you could just speak that to whoever's listening right now and is, is sure that what they need is a plan to get from A to Z.
3: Well, let's just go back to my 1.7 cumulative Mm. GPA. I received my letter, dear Jose. When you get those dear letters, you know you're cooked. As of now, you are no longer a student of this institution. You obviously are not interested in studies. We encourage you to examine other options in your life. I hit bottom. I got kicked out of college and it was over. Now, mind you. That's how it feels throughout life. I'm this little person on a little campus Mm. with nothing to show for. And my parents saying, don't give up, son. Don't give up, Uh, you know. And another professor said, I want to talk with you. And uh, he says, why are you getting bad grades? And I calmly and sincerely, this isn't a joke, I looked at him and said, because I'm Mexican. And he says, are are you joking? I said, no. Uh, All my teachers, when I was little and growing up in L.A., told me, don't worry, sweetie. Mexicans always get lower grades. Don't feel bad. So I assumed we had inferior Mm. brain tissue. And so I told him, this is just natural. We Latinos never do well in school. You got to be other races to score. Mm. And he says, don't you ever Say that to me again, and that's where I learned the concept of a state of mind. Mm. It, that it reached a climactic moment in my life at the White House during the Israeli-Palestinian negotiations. I was ready to give up, and and I just will never get this deal settled um, between Prime Minister Netanyahu and Yasser Arafat. And one of the assistants to the president turned to me and said, "We are limited." only by the mind that that was the culmination of what began during my 1.7 cumulative mm. gpa we are limited only by the mind those scriptures say whatever a person thinks that's who they are if you think you'll never score in life then you won't but if you're that little person and from that little community at a little school or at a little job and you don't think you're scoring anything in life, think again. Mm. You you do your best with what lies nearest. And uh, one day I'd be at the White House in a meeting, having breakfast with the president, discussing options for domestic policy in our country. The very next day, I'm driving a school bus up from Phoenix to the Holbrook Indian School among the Navajo Nation. Hmm. And it blows a water hose climbing the mountain at 115 degrees uh, temperature that day. And I'm hitchhiking on that freeway to get up to the Chevron station and buy a water hose. Now I'm under the bus installing a water hose to get the Hmm. thing up the mountain. And, And in other words, there is no big or small moments. Yes. It's just us. Making a difference. And frankly, there was no difference. Listen carefully to this. There's no difference between fixing a water hose on a, a blown water hose on a highway in Arizona or sitting with the president having breakfast discussing the domestic policy of this nation. Those are identical moments, two different locations making a difference right now. Mm. So if you think you're not making a difference because you're in a small town, in a small community, and you have a small job, you don't make a living wage, and you think you're just never going to get there, think again. Mm. God blesses us wherever we are in whatever we're doing. I am the son of peasants. Just a few weeks ago, I buried my father. One of the painful moments of my life and the funeral people were shocked. My father had a plywood casket with mm-hmm. copper screws, and he made this arrangement since 2006, a plywood casket. I mean, I can get two sheets of plywood from Home Depot and make that casket. In fact, I'm tempted to do so. <laughs> it was that simple. Mm-hmm. And so I come from simplicity and poverty. And you know, it's, there's nothing to, to be embarrassed about mm-hmm. because one day I'm over here uh, on the front lines with homeless people uh, sitting there telling stories, sharing food, bringing some clothes, some underwear and socks. And the next day I'm in some sit, some meeting here in Washington, D.C. It's all the same. There is no up there, down here. It's just us making a difference mm. right now. And so don't ever think, sitting there listening to this interview, that you're some little person I'm a little person too.
4: Hmm. And
3: we little people can make a difference when we walk with the Lord. I can't explain it. It'd be nice to have it all organized perfectly, but this is not technique or method. It's it's really doing the best you can at all moments.
1: Stay humble and stay on your knees.
3: And stay on your knees. That's That's what
1: Jose says to me. His mother said it to him. First, Jose Rojas is a former spiritual advisor to leaders in the White House, and he believes it is his purpose to mobilize the gospel through people who have a vision for hope. Jose, my tagline this season on Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat at a time when social media has so many negatives around it that are valid. At Viral Jesus, we want to encourage people to take ownership of how they are communicating their faith, both online and off. My question that I ask everybody to close is this. How do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space?
3: Find someone that you don't believe deserves it and love them. I remember I made that a post one year on Facebook in, what was it, 2004? Back when Facebook began, Mm. I had about 100,000 followers and I was being called an influencer. And I still remember when I said, want to understand the love of God? Go out and love someone who doesn't like you. Mm. Start there. I got so much negative response, mostly from Christians. (laughs) Remember. Start with somebody who needs to be loved.
4: Mm.
3: And the way you know is that they don't love you at all. Mm. Uh, I am hated for strange, unknown reasons, but those are the ones I must begin with. (laughs) That keeps you humble, that keeps you focused, keeps your feet on the ground. You're not tempted to pride if you love people. If you practice loving people and experience loving people, and you begin with those who don't like you then you're going to walk the walk of Christ himself. You, when you're able to pray forgive them, they know not what they do. That's very rem- redemptive. Mm. And uh, that's why Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, unmerited suffering is redemptive. So there's something to be said about humility. The way you practice it is by starting with those who don't like you do that online. And no, it's most of the time is not going to feel good. But if you learn to live that way, it's going to have a marked change in your character and your personality and the values you develop of putting others first. I'm now 62 years old and a couple months, I'll be 63. And I survived a massive heart attack. Uh, this week will be the one year anniversary of of my incident and I'm still not well, I'm still recovering. It's very slow. So I have advice, whatever you do and listen to me, Mm -hmm. don't have a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Just listen. Don't have a heart attack. I know you're not caring about Yeah, I know you don't think it's going to happen to you. Mine happened suddenly. So I'm, I've been very clear for years, but the heart attack was a way to, to confirm it. Does my career really matter?
4: Hmm. No. Hmm.
3: My career will always be a meaningful part of the journey, and I've had incredible opportunities and experiences, but never because I planned them that way. It's because I was faithful wherever I was at, at that assignment, at that place, I served people, and I always begin with those who don't like me, and then the Lord reveals more for your future, and for those listeners who are not Christian, that's okay you can still draw the principle of selfless giving Mm. always produces redemption. And it increases your influence and increases your impact on people's lives. And the day comes that you open your mouth and and it's creating a memory for somebody. It's a a mystery. It's one of the great reasons to be alive.
1: Well, Jose, thank you for all the memories you've created for me. And I know for somebody listening right now, you've created a memory and a moment for them. So what can we learn from our conversation with Jose Rojas? Number one, if you want to be a mentor, make a memory. When you feel the spirit stir you toward encouraging someone, do it, make a memory for them that they'll hold on to for years to come. Number two, no one is that good. Whether we work in the Oval Office doing global initiatives like Jose or get under the old church bus to change a hose, we are human beings and God works with us and through us to accomplish God's objectives. God is good, we are people. Number three, we are limited only by our mind. Jose says he doesn't care if you are in a little office, in a little town, with a little title. We have capacity to serve. And if we have capacity to serve, we have the capacity to make a difference. That's leadership. You don't need a title. You just have to serve. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson-Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, Next week, we get to sit down with someone who has meant a lot to me. This conversation, you guys, is going to be so rich. I can't wait for you to hear from best-selling author and honestly world-renowned speaker and advocate, Christine Kane. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.